Father, once, once again, we just acknowledge that, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. Um, but with you, all things are possible. And Lord, we can hear from you today. We can hear your word. And Lord, through your help, the aid of the Spirit, we can understand what it is teaching us. Uh, Lord, you can open our eyes. You can open our understanding. And, and Lord, you have the ability to have your way with your people today. You're God. We're not. We belong to you. You purchased us with the blood of Christ at Calvary. And so, Lord, we're trusting that you will do what only you can do. Lord, I pray for any that are tempted to follow the way of the filthy dreamer, to follow the way of the false teachers that, that turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Lord, I pray that today it'd be a wake-up call and that, Lord, they'd recognize you're worthy. You're worthy of our obedience. You're worthy of our submission. You're worthy of our devotion. Lord, for any that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they'd see their need, that they'd see the utter hopelessness and utter corruption of the flesh, and that they'd cling to the cross They'd cling to the finished work of the cross of Calvary. They'd cling to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray that in all things you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to review. because so We've got to keep our train of thought. So in, in Jude, it's one chapter, Jude chapter 1, we're seeing the danger, right? Jude tells them why he's writing this book. And it was to exhort them to earnestly contend for the faith. Why? Because, the, you know, you got people creeping in, teaching false doctrine. They're apostates. They're, they're, they're bringing false teaching with the goal of turning the grace of God, right, the grace of our God into lasciviousness, uh, into, you know, just wanton sexual abandonment, uh, sexual fulfillment. And to do that, they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our main point in this study is this. False belief is dangerous in that it leads people to rebellion against God. And Jude illustrates this principle through three parallels. Right, Three parallels to verses 3 and 4. The first parallel that we saw was the generation of Israel that God saved and then later destroyed in the wilderness over their rebellion against Him. The second parallel that we saw is the angels who leave their first habitation. They leave their first estate and uh, they fall into sin through sexual immorality. These sons of God marry the daughters of men and the result in Genesis 6 is all flesh is corrupted before the Lord. And then last time we saw the third parallel, and that was the sexual perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, in verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, just like the angels left their proper place of, of dwelling, of living, they left their first estate, they left their own habitation, and they cohabited with women. Um, they went after what would be to them strange flesh. Well, that's what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah left their first estate. They went after strange flesh. And Jude says, these, right, they are set forth 
for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So we looked at that. We looked at how twisted doctrine enables people. It, 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 it gives the green light to people to pursue perverse sexual satisfaction. We saw the progression in Romans. We saw the example of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, but we saw the progression of sexual sin in Romans chapter 1. And because people overthrow God's natural order, they overthrow the plan of God in their life to pursue strange flesh, well, then God gives them over. In Romans 1, we see that God allows people to get to the place where they can't even think correctly. Romans 1.24 says that because they did this, right? Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Why? Because instead of acknowledging the Creator, uh, they denied Him. So God gave them up, verse 26, to vile affections. So now the unnatural is their new natural. It's their new normal. And so you see women pursuing same-sex relationships with other women and the men doing the same. And the result in verse 28 is, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Now they can't even think correctly. It's to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness. And we finished last week with seeing the result. Verse 8, Jude verse 8 says that there is the possibility of a defiled flesh. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. And we called it out. We saw it called out in Proverbs, Proverbs 19.3, that the foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. You know, the heart is desperately wicked. Oh, I just have to follow my heart. I just got to follow my own truth. Well, your heart will lie to you about what is right. Your heart will deceive you about what is good. We need a new heart. We need a new life that comes from God, that grows into maturity through the reading, the following, right? The understanding, the application of the Word of God. The prophecy point that we saw last week was that Jesus said, just like it was in the days of Noah, and just like it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's exactly what the world will be like in Christ's second coming. Luke chapter 17, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the, of the Son of Man. Likewise also, verse 28, as it was in the days of Lot, that's what it will be like in the coming of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. They're just living their lives in utter rebellion against God, but they're just living their lives but the same day the law went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So there's going to be a repeat of history, Jesus said. And then last week we, we talked about it. I mean, we talked about the fact that we now live in days where evil is being actively promoted as virtue, as good. Abortion is called choice. The LGBTQ plus agenda, you can't keep up with the acronym anymore. It's just all billed as an alternate lifestyle. People pursuing their heart, their truth, and it leads to what we're seeing today, complete gender confusion, the mutilating of children, 
So many people pursued by pursue, destroy, their lives destroyed by pursuing their own truth. Let me give you a second to process the meme. <laughs> that's a critical thing. Boys, boys, men, that's a critical thing that you're looking for in a life's partner, in a mate. Make sure the chromosomes are right. All right. What is a woman? All of it is mockery to the fact that God made man, male and female. We saw that in Genesis chapter 1. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then he blessed them. But today we have complete, I mean complete, gender confusion. You know, it's like um, Orwell in 1984. One of the things that he decried about... Big brother is that he'd lie to your face, tell you absurd untruths, and demand that you believe them. And what do we have today? We literally have, you can just Google it, news reports about her penis. That pronoun should never go before that noun. It doesn't fit, but, but, I mean, they're talking about women being arrested because they showed their penis to children. Of course, if you're in a pride parade, it's okay, apparently. That's what we're seeing in the news right now. Uh, it's ludicrous. We are close. I mean, sometimes you're tempted to think, oh man, the only answer is come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, we talked about our response last time. When we see people who are caught in confusion our, the right response isn't to ridicule them or to despise them. It's to be brokenhearted and to have compassion, uh, to run to them and show them, speak to them the truth and love. Uh, I, I don't know if you're paying attention to the news. I, the example I gave you last week as we closed was the whole furry culture. Um, that, that, is, that is being promoted to children in order to perversely sexualize them. Uh, these, these lead to bizarre sexual fetishes, and, and um, we, we, the day will come when we'll have somebody with cat ears and little whiskers drawn on their face, and you're going to say hi to them, and their response to you will be, meow, <laughs> and you're going to think, this person is insane. Well, it, it's, it's a mass deception that's taking place that they're buying into. And so we need to make sure we don't want to join people in delusion or in untruths, but we want to love them. We want to trust the Lord for an open door to speak God's truth in love so that the person might be delivered. All right, so now this next section in Jude's letter, verses 8 through 13, we're, we're going to see the problem with railing accusations, people that get righteous indignation over issues that they're completely ignorant of. So let's pick it up again in verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. See, filthy, they're described as filthy dreamers. Okay, a filthy dreamer has filthy dreams. Why does a filthy dreamer have filthy dreams? Well, because they have reprobate minds. They can no longer think. They don't have the capacity anymore to think in a godly way. Godly is your, your next blank. Jesus sees it when we can't think correctly, 
Matthew 9, 4, Jesus, knowing the thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? In chapter 15, verse 19, he says, Out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, false witnesses, blasphemies. See, when God's people, there's a great example of this in Ezekiel chapter 8, when God's people went down this path of evil thinking, the result was, it was horrid. God lets Ezekiel peek into the spiritual life of the nation of Israel. And the result was abominable. Uh, all of this results in God's judgment. In Ezekiel 8, verse 12, God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. No, the Lord does see it. Right? Why think ye evil in your hearts? That's what Jesus said. Skip down to verse, eight, uh, verse 17. Ezekiel 8, verse 17. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit abominations, which they commit here? And again, he's showing them into temple life. He's showing them into the spiritual life of the nation of the house of Israel. For they have filled the land with violence. They have returned to provoke me to anger, and lo, they have put the branch to their nose. And all this results in God's judgment over his people. Therefore, will I also deal in fury, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet will I not hear them. I'm about to break this up. <laughs> and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Israel's led into captivity by Assyria to the north, and then... Judah, Benjamin, they're, they're, they're taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, by Babylon. Why? Because the thoughts of their heart were evil. Reprobate thinking is dangerous territory. And I just want to say to anybody that's wrestling with, listening to the lies that the world are saying. I mean, the world is saying the Bible is a liar, God's a liar. And if you're tempted to follow them, in, in order to follow the way of the lost world. You have to deny the only God, the only Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how this thing works. And so my plea to you this morning is come back. Come back before it's too late, before God, has, God himself has to deal with you. You say, well, I don't know if I'm on the edge. Okay, well, how do you identify? How do you identify a filthy dreamer? Well, the first thing is, and we saw this last week, they defile the flesh. And there's more messes made in this category than we'll ever have time to cover. You know, today the world is doubling down on corruption. It's being shipped out wholesale. I mean, it's being shipped in bulk. Pornhub, OnlyFans. Right? The enemy is mass marketing corruption. Shipping corruption on a, on a global scale. Conversely, couples marrying, that's God's plan. Uh, couples marrying are greatly down in number. And then existed, existing marriages, right? They're ravaged by the filth of our generation, the filth that our generation is wallowing in. Typically, the results of spiritual depravity look like the scenario outlined for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I mean, here's a guy, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has his father's wife. The sin is so depraved, even the lost world knows it's messed up. But that's what can happen. People can get so so filthy, and they're thinking. And they, 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 you know, 
people who call themselves followers of God then turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Typically, though, it looks like chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verse 15. This is usually what the sexual sin looks like for the believer. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of an harlot? God forbid. Well, brother's got needs. How am I going to get those needs met? What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Girls, ladies, women, okay, when you're looking at social relationships, if the guy that you're looking to get to know is saying, come on, you have to give it up because I, I actually have these needs, okay, that dude does not love you. That dude is seeking to use you. They may call themselves a Christian, and they may even lie to you and tell you, God understands it. Man, lean right into their ear and whisper. He's going to think you got something great to say, and you do. You just get right in his ear and you whisper, Get behind me, Satan! Okay? That's, just whisper that into his ear as loud as you can. Okay? Get behind me, Satan! That's not love. This dude is not loving you. This dude is looking to use you. Take him to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. How could you do this to the Holy Spirit? What know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So what's the right response? Verse 18. What is it? Flee fornication. Why? Because there's nothing, fornic there's nothing good that's going to come out of fornication in your life. You say, well, the, the dudes say, well, I'll get a little relief. Some of the ladies would say that. No, what you're doing now is you're injuring your own spiritual walk. You're doing damage to your own spiritual vitality. And you are now on the road to a slippery slope, right? It's a spiral into depravity. Flee fornication. Here's why. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth... I mean, there's something extra special in an awful way about the sin of fornication. When you sin, it's without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You don't get to do with your body what you want to do. Well, it's my body. I'll fornicate. And if I want to fornicate, if I want to, you would fornicate too. If it, you know, okay. I can only take that stupid song so far. It's not your body if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It exists as the dwelling place, as the habitation of the Holy Spirit. You need to treat it that way. You need to take it serious. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You do not belong to you. And so no, sex is not just a relieving, nice hug, a super hug. No, it's more than that. It's sin against the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there are false teachers that put the focus on the lusts of the eyes and the lusts of the flesh, and they excuse it, they make reasons for it. Pastors lie to women 
lead silly women laden with lust astray. I've heard stories about churches where pastors trade girlfriends. Wicked. It's wicked. Pastors lying to women. Well, my wife and I aren't sexually active. God understands. You know, he, he understands my service to him. And so they function as his concubines. It's wicked. See, for the believer, the sanctity of their body as God's temple must be protected. Did you get that? For the believer, the sanctity of their body as God's temple, it must be protected. You don't get to share it out with other people. You say, well, but bro, you're missing the point. I mean, bro has needs. Okay, how do you get sexual fulfillment as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? How many know the answer? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, right? I mean, don't, don't live your life burning in lust. Trust God for his plan for, you know, a way to put the fire out. Marriage is God's plan. So how can two people come together and still stay pure? The only way it can happen is two people have to become one. It's the only way it works. Two must become one before God. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says it's not good that man should be alone. Bro's got needs. So I will make and help meet for him. Look down in verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called Jerry. Bill. George. No, woman. She, she's got the right chromosomes because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they, two, right, they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Amen. Two equals one. That's God's math. That's declared biblically, okay? That's God's plan for man to be sexually fulfilled, and actually to fulfill God's program for the world. So it's declared biblically, but it's proven, ex I mean, it's proven experientially. I mean, the, they, they do studies, okay? You can Google it. You can look it up. Uh, people who are functionally married, they're happily married, they have more and better sex than those who are not married. They have more and better sex, and here's a bonus, especially for the men, okay? They live longer. I mean, they live longer. So your life goal is to be getting jiggy with it when you're 80. That's your life goal. Because that's healthy. That's God's blessing on your life. So because God designed it that way, Satan hates it. This is what you need to understand. Satan hates it. He hates God's design of marriage. He hates the picture of marriage because a married couple picture the love relationship that Christ has with his bride, the church. So he hates it. He despises it. And make no mistake, your marriage is always under attack. Satan is always looking for a way to just he's to pull at the seams of your marriage union. He wants to unravel it because he wants to make a mockery of the picture. And so he promotes adultery. And no wonder we see his ministers working to break up marriages. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. We've looked at this passage a few times now in relationship to Jude. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then we see the, the marks of the wicked. Verse 4 describes them, summarize the, summarizes them as traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Verse 6, for of this sort, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. No wonder his ministers those who turn the grace of God into lasciviousness end up destroying marriages. So filthy dreamers defile the flesh, but then also, look at verse 8, they despise dominion. To despise means to reject, to displace, to disregard. Dominion is, some, is, is someone or some place or some office that is over you in authority. So I'm despising my authority to structure. Destructure. I'm despising my, my authority structure. Despise and structure is to destructure. Is somebody getting all this new vocabulary down? We should publish a dictionary. They despise authority. They despise dominion. Now, the architect of this plan is Satan himself. The rebellion originally starts with Satan with his slander of God and working to get Adam and Eve to come out from underneath God's authority. Uh, Satan's basic message to Eve is, God's holding out on you and he's keeping you down. God, God is, I mean, what a, what a me monster to not share the benefits of being like him as God. Genesis 3, 5, here's the lie. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Not one word of that lie is untrue. That's exactly what happened. They ate in rebellion against the word of God. When God told them not to eat, lest they die, their eyes were opened. They were as gods, knowing good and evil. Man, the best lies are couched in truth, aren't they? I mean, Satan left out the part. Satan left out the part that God created hell for false gods. So those that follow after Satan do the exact same thing. They misrepresent God in order to break free from his dominion over their lives. You see it in Psalms chapter 2. Mankind raging against his creator. You're not the boss of me. That's what little kids do, you know. Got a, got a big sister that's like 12, 13 Little brother, nine or ten. You're not the boss of me. You're not my mom. You can't tell me what to do. Here it is, Psalms 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. God's response is in verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. You're never going to escape God's dominion. It's hard to kick against the pricks. He laughs. It's like, what do you think you're doing? He'll vex them in a sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. Psalm 12, verse 4. The godly, the ungodly, the rebellious have said, with our tongue will we prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? That's the heart of the filthy dreamer. He has no consideration for God's structure, 
the authority structure that God ordains. Hebrews 13, 17, the Bible tells God's people, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. So filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They despise dominion, but they also speak evil of dignities. Okay, these people that hold offices of authority and power, they, they, they speak evil of dignities. So they despise dominion. They speak evil of rulers and principalities. And you need to know this. This is a great offense to God. See, there's an order by God's design that must be recognized. And really, here it is in a nutshell. This is the key, right? God expects everyone to know their place. Know your place, your relative position, and his structure of authority. Look at Exodus 22, verse 28. There's a shocking verse to a lot of people. Exodus 22, verse 28. Thou shalt not revile who? Notice the little g on gods. Thou shalt not revile the gods. You don't get to talk trash on Molech, nor curse the ruler of thy people. You see it on the internet. Every once in a while, one of these clips will go viral. Some preacher is cussing out the devil. I mean, just cussing him like a sailor. What is he doing? Well, he's doing it in his ignorance. See, let me, let me, let me illustrate the principle. Ecclesiastes 10.20 says, Curse not the king. No, not in thy thought. In Acts chapter 23, Paul demonstrates, he illustrates this principle. Uh, he, this wicked council of religious rulers in Israel have him on a trial. And he tells them he's lived of... He's lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, unto the high priest, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For thou saidest to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. So basically he called him, I mean a tomb. He called him a grave. You whited wall. You have a form of godliness, no reality. Look at the response in verse 4. They that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? And then look at Paul's response. Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Had I known he was the high priest, I wouldn't have said what I said. Let me give you another example. I mean, this is the greatest and worst example of someone going off the rails in this area of offense, speaking evil of dignities. You got two thieves, two malefactors that are hanged with Jesus, and one of them railed on Jesus, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. The other guy knew better than that. He knew they were getting what they deserved. He says, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds? But this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Except uh, uh, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Uh, there is an order that's given by God's design. Okay, so the example that Jude gives is the example of Michael. Okay, he does not, he's not a filthy dreamer. He doesn't despise dominion. He doesn't speak evil of dignities. 
So we see Michael's faithful declaration in verse 9, yet Michael, the, the archangel, I mean, he's a big deal in heaven, okay? He's a big deal on earth, too. He is the prince or the principality of Israel. Yet the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed not, or he disputed, I'm sorry, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Michael, in this dispute, durst not bring against him a railing accusation. He didn't dare try to put Satan in his place himself, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I'm on a mission from the Lord. Uh, it's out of both of our hands. <laughs> okay, so they're, 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 they're fighting about the body of Moses. What's happening here? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter three, uh, we get insight into the death of Moses. And Moses is telling God's people um, why he can't go with them into the promised land. And he tells them about his conversation with the Lord in Deuteronomy 3, look at verse 25. He says, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me. He was, he was angry with me. He was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. So he tells him to go up on top of the mountain and look at the promised land. Why? For thou shalt not go over this Jordan. You're not going to go with Israel over the Jordan River into the promised land. I'll let you look at it, but you know, because of, you know, and you guys know the story, he was told to speak to the rock the second time they need water, and instead of doing that, he hits it again. And it messes up the picture that God's painting for us in the New Testament. And God's like, huh, you didn't do what I told you to? You're not going into the promised land. And so then we see it go down in Deuteronomy 34. Moses went up from the plains of Moab onto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pishka that is over against Jericho. And God showed him all the land of Gilead, and it describes it all there. Now verse 4, And the Lord said unto him, this is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses sees it. Verse 5 says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, the Lord, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth the place of his sepulcher unto this day. Well, by the time we get to Jude's letter, God had obviously told Michael, the archangel, about where he buried the body. See, God sends Michael later to fetch the corpse. Why does God want Moses' corpse? Why? Well, I think there's a clue in Revelation chapter 11 as to why God wants Moses' body. Uh, you see two witnesses standing against the empire of the Antichrist at the temple. Anybody that tries to shut them down, fire comes out of their mouth, devours them, hurts them, kills them. Look at verse 6, Re Revelation 11, verse 6. These two witnesses, these have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. I know another prophet that did not have a natural end, who could give the declaration, he could pray, and it not rain for three and a half years. 
that prophet, Elijah, was caught up by a whirlwind. He, was, he had a fancy rapture. Okay? He didn't die. I think he's going to die. I think Elijah's going to die in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, he, he, that's one of them. But look at the other one. And have power over waters to turn them to blood, to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. I know another dude that made some declarations and turned water to blood and smite, he, he was smiting the earth with plagues, so much so that, that a wicked king finally exceeded, right? He, he finally gave in to their demands and let the people of Israel go from their bondage. So, you know, if that is him, and I personally think it is, uh, the text doesn't explicitly say that it's Moses, but do the math. We're told to compare Scripture with Scripture. Um, I'm convinced personally that it is Moses, and if that is him, then he has to die twice. Bummer. <laughs> but he gets to serve twice. I mean, how glorious. So why does Satan want the body of Israel's deliverer? Well, think about Satan, here's everything that drives him. You see, it in, you see it in Isaiah chapter 14. He wants to stand in the place of God as God. And in the ultimate showdown, that's how he's manifest in the life of the Antichrist. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2.4. The Antichrist, this man of sin, this, this, this wicked man who is indwelt by Satan himself. The Bible says he opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So why does Satan want the body of Moses? Well, the conjecture, right, if you just add all the data up, what it looks like is he wanted the body of Moses because he wanted to lead Israel into such rebellion so as to make God destroy him himself. You know, so Moses shows back up and leads Israel into unredeemable, irredeemable depravity, well, then maybe God will wipe them out once and for all. I mean, he's got a, Satan's got a Genesis 3.15 issue he's trying to solve. He doesn't want the seed of the woman to destroy him. That's the first prophecy in your Bible. And after that, everything you see, the story of the Bible is Satan attacking the seed of the woman. And when it narrows down to the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... What Satan wants to do, and look at the history of humanity, Satan's goal is to wipe out the nation of Israel. Why? Because the seed of the woman will wipe him out. It's a Genesis 3.15 seed at issue here. So no, Moses does have to come back, and he does show Israel the truth in the last days. So Michael's going to get the body, and Satan's like, you can't do that. It's not time for a resurrection. Well, that's not what's happening here. Uh, I, 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 was, I was told to come get this body. Well, you can't have him. I mean, he died because the wages of sin is death. He rebelled against God. He stays in my realm, in my domain. So there's a, there's a dispute. Michael's response was what? Not you, low down, dirty, no good, blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety blank. That, that's not what he does. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. Your problem's with God. You don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with Jehovah. Why does he respond this way? Why does he respond and just, re I mean, it's really with respect, referring Satan back to Jehovah, back to the living God. Why does he do that? Well, Satan is a principality. Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 6, 12 says we wrestle our spiritual warfare as engaged with principalities, powers. 
And God set it up. Look at Colossians 1.16. It's by him, it's by Christ, that all things were created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. God set the principality structure in place. And so we have to submit to it. I think we've got some pretty wicked principalities ruling over America right now. It's not our job to revile them. It's our job to work to see the Lord rebuke them. Uh, our mission should never change. Okay, We want to change our society. We need to win souls. We need to make disciples. We need to train up people to do the same. That's the only way anything ever changes. You're not going to do it politically. You're not going to do it through socioeconomics. It's only through the changed lives of people. And when we got a bunch of people praying for revival in our nation, guess what? The devil's going to get bound, and we may see a mini-revival. I don't know. Anything's possible with the Lord. I think we're on the verge of catastrophic failure, absent some change, and the Lord's coming for his people any day. But before Jesus' first coming, Jesus himself models this principle. Look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So Jesus, Joshua, the high priest, okay, is standing before this Christophany. The angel of the Lord in your Bible is a reference to the pre-incarnate person of Christ himself. The appearing of God to man, okay? So here's Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And so what does Jesus say to Satan? Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, It's the angel of the Lord that's described. And then another proof text for the angel of the Lord being the person of Christ is verse 2. Calls the angel of the Lord the Lord. The Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. So even the angel of the Lord refers Satan to the highest authority. He refers him to the Father. Look, your problem's with Jehovah with the will of God. Jesus himself, the angel of the Lord himself, doesn't rail against Satan. In Matthew chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, when Satan himself comes after the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't see Jesus cussing him out, trying to put him in his place. No, he just responds to every temptation with what God said in his word. It is written. It is written. He used the word of God to set Satan straight. He refers him back to Jehovah. Now, the good news regarding these thrones, these dominions, these principalities, is that Christ now is victor over them. Colossians chapter 2 talks about our salvation. Uh, we're buried with him in baptism, with Jesus in baptism. When you get saved, you are crucified with Christ, you are buried with Christ, you are risen with Christ. And so we're risen with Jesus through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he now made alive. He hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Verse 14, more than that, he, he, he takes away the condemnation that's declared over our lives, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled, here it is, principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. No principality, no throne, no power, no dominion 
actually holds authority over your life. Now, they have a place of authority. It's just not your authority structure anymore. You don't get to now, like a little me monster tyrant, talk trash to them. No, the Lord rebuke you, right? He is the one that makes a show of them openly. We've been set free. Now, I do believe that Michael gets his day. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 says that there was war in heaven, and Michael, the archangel, he is the prince of Israel, the principality that's watching out for the affairs of the people of Israel. You see that in the Old Testament. Michael and his angels fought against Satan. They fought against the dragon, and, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Uh, so Michael does get his day. He does get to do battle with Satan and is victorious. And I'm betting that God uh, gives it to, to Michael. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's still a, like a, a, a pool going in heaven about who gets to bring the chain in Revelation chapter 20. If I have to bet on the identity, like if we can take bets now and collect in heaven, I'm going to say that, you know, Revelation chapter 20, this is Michael putting Satan in bondage. I saw an angel come down from heaven, doesn't give his identity, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years should be fulfilled. Um, we'll see who it ends up being. So filthy dreamers, not only do they despise authority, but look at verse 10. They speak wickedly. They shoot off their mouths without having any real understanding of what's actually true. Verse 10 says, but these speak evil of things which they knew not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. You know, people can get so devolved in their thinking through unbelief that they can't even think right. Okay, we've seen that. We saw that clearly last week in Romans chapter 1. And if you can't think right, you can't speak right. Right? How are you going to speak right if you can't think right? In John chapter 3 and verse 19, we see the condemnation that's in this world. And it's that men love darkness rather than, than light because their deeds are evil. So, you know, they don't think right. They don't, therefore, live right. In Isaiah 5, verse 20, there's a warning to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. You can get so messed up in your thinking that you actually think, you actually think evil is good and noble, that rebellion against God is brave. Oh, you're a hero. No, 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 you're actually a rebel against your creator. And so they, people talk trash. Today, a great example today is you see on both sides, right and left, you see people that have no respect for our nation's office holders. And I get it. Office holders do unrespectable things. It's tough to have respect for people that you feel are destroying your, your, your country, your nation, your people. But brothers, sisters, they're in that office because God has allowed it. But you'll see them. You'll see them raging against dignities, against offices, against thrones, against authorities. 
and they'll scream out their hatred and, and they'll, they'll scream out curses against the ruler of the people. Ephesians 4.18 says why. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Jeremiah 4.22 says, My people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil and to do good, but to do good they have no knowledge. And so, you know, filthy dreamers speak wickedly. They speak in their ignorance. But look at this. Verse number 11. Here's the warning of a fool's destruction. Verse 11 says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. So very quickly, let's break these down as we close. Cain, what was the way of Cain? Well, you read Genesis chapter 4 and you find out the way of Cain starts with envy over the offering. He tries to offer the best of his ability to bring fruit out of a cursed ground. It's the works of the flesh he brings to the Lord. Abel brings innocent blood in his sacrifice. He brings a, a lamb. He brings a sacrifice. So Cain's offering was rejected by God. Abel's was not because the works of the flesh will never get done what only the shed blood of the innocent lamb can accomplish. And so Satan gets or Cain gets angry. So the way of Cain starts with envy, but it ends up with killing and then lying about the deed, right? It ends with killing and lying. You can read that story in Genesis chapter 4. John describes it this way in 1 John 3, 12. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's very interesting. So the godless, the, tip, the stereotypical godless atheist um, will not say boo about Islam or Hinduism, right? Won't say boo about that. But a Christian is a hate monger. A Christian, a Bible thumper, right, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a Christian nationalist who wants to kill Everybody that doesn't follow Christ. I mean, it's just like total misrepresentation, mischaracterization. They hate those who are endeavoring to follow after the word of God. Why? Because they refuse to do the same. They ref they, they, their works are evil. And you even see it in the church. It's interesting. Those who do life and ministry God's way. If, if, uh, if the Bible says what it means, and it means what it actually says, then you can't miss the mission that God has for his people. We are to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. We're to make disciples, we're to, we're to win souls, right? We're to preach the gospel to every creature. Those that respond, we baptize them and we teach them all things whatsoever Christ has commanded. And God is with us in that endeavor to the end of this age, to the end of the world. We have a mission. It's to win souls and make disciples and to train and equip those disciples to go and do the same thing. That's the work that God has given to us. You can't miss it in Scripture. The whole of the canon of Scripture is aimed at that endeavor for the church. But, you know, churches don't want to do what God calls them to do. And they think that the church shouldn't be focused on the second coming of Christ. You know, you've only got today to win your neighbor to Christ. 
Because, man, tomorrow, I mean, tomorrow never comes. If you actually get to tomorrow, guess what you'll call it? It's today. Okay, so that's a technical thing. But really, there is no promise of tomorrow. The Lord could come back at any time. And then how are you going to win your neighbor to Christ? Oh, we shouldn't be focused on the return of Christ. We should be focused on building heaven on earth. They don't want Christians preaching the gospel. They want them doing social programs. You know, get clean water for a community. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's all that the church does, if that isn't an open door for the gospel, guess what? You just satisfied the thirst of a bunch of people who are going to die in their sin and spend eternity in hell separated from God. But it is, it's interesting how believers who are endeavoring end up being despised by other Christians who know better, who know better, who are more enlightened. Uh, it's, it's, it's the way of the world. Okay, what about Balaam? What's the error of Balaam? Uh, you can read this story in Numbers chapters 22 through 25. That's your homework. I'll let you do it. But Jesus summarizes this error in Revelation chapter 2. He writes, uh, he sends a letter to the church in Pergamos. Uh, Pergamos was in a place of great corruption. It's called Satan's seat. And he says, you held fast my name. You didn't deny the faith. Uh, even though people were being killed, your, some of your number were being killed in this place where Satan himself dwells. Okay, it's, it's, a, bad, it's a bad place. It's a bad culture for believers. And they're, in, they're persevering. But look at verse 14. He says, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine, the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. The doctrine of Balaam, then, is all about teaching how to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's what's happening here. So Balaam, obviously, according to Revelation chapter 2, advises, he teaches Balak how to get Israel to corrupt themselves before God. Remember, Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel. He wanted, Balak wanted Balaam to curse Israel so he could defeat them. And Balaam, he's a prophet of God. He says, I can't do that. I can only, you know, every time he tries to curse him, he ends up declaring blessing. And, and so he's stuck. He can't curse God's chosen people. But he knows he can get them to curse themselves. And so he teaches Balak on what to do. And sure enough, man, by the time you get to the end of the story, they're, they're, Israel is committing whoredom with the daughters of Moab. So he found a way, right? to have Israel corrupt themselves before God, and that thereby have God himself bring them low. See, Balaam found a way to curse Israel without cursing them. That's what happened. He found a way to curse Israel without actually cursing them. Get them to curse themselves. Peter talks about the same thing. Keep a finger here in Jude. Turn back a couple pages to 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 10. 2 Peter 2, verse 10. And I'm just going to overview this very quickly because we're running out of time. So we see in verses 10 through 12, these false teachers, they're presumptuous, they're self-willed, they speak evil of dignities. So he's saying the same thing Jude's saying. <clears throat> he, he infers Michael, the angels, greater in power of might, they don't bring railing accusation against Dignities, but these false teachers, they're like dumb animals. They speak evil of things that they don't understand. And they're going to receive their reward, verse 13. But look at, look at, verse, look at verse 15. 
these false teachers, these false followers, they have forsaken the right way and are gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He's teaching doctrine for personal gain. He's corrupting people for personal gain. But was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. So there it is, man. I mean, teaching to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, that you might personally profit thereby. Wicked, right? Very offensive to God. Okay, Kor, what was the gainsaying of Kor? You'll read that story in Numbers chapter 16. Here it is in a nutshell. Korah, K-O-R-A-H, is how you'll see his name described in the Old Testament. He was the man who led the rebellion against the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Korah wanted to be the man in Moses' place. So he runs his mouth off, right? He runs his mouth against God's man, Moses. But here's the problem. God put Moses and his brother Aaron in the positions that he placed them in. God put them there. In Deuteronomy 33, you get an incredible statement about Moses. Deuteronomy 33, verse 4 says, Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. And he, Moses, was king in Jeshurun. Jeshurun is another name for Israel. Every time you see it, the Bible makes it clear that it's talking about the people, the nation of Israel. God made him a king in Israel. I mean, you read the rest of the story in number 16. He's running his mouth off against the man that God put in a position of authority over his life. And God ends up destroying him, his whole gang, his confederates, and everyone and everything that, that, that belonged to them were destroyed with them. Don't fail to recognize the authority structure that God set up over your life. Don't run your mouth about things that you don't understand. If you see something in the authority structure that God has over your life, rather than reviling and speaking evil of dignities, you ought to just take it to the Lord. You ought to make it a Lord rebuke them scenario. Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember them which have the rule over you. Verse 17 says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now here it's talking about the structure of the believing right, the believing church, the believers in the New Testament. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their lifestyle, how they live out what they teach, their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. This is why James says, brothers, be not many masters because the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a long day for you. <laughs> be not many masters. I mean, I have to, as your pastor, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm going to have to give an account. This is why I take the approach that I take in my preaching. It's a little different. Like, I don't, I don't do the typical thing. I don't make a thesis statement make my three points, and then draw the conclusion. Okay, it's there if you're listening. But my goal is to just walk you through what does the Bible say. Because I know the judgment seat of Christ is coming. I want to cover as much territory as I can cover in this book. 
because the judgment seat of Christ is coming and you're going to give an account for how you invested the life that Christ bought with his shed blood. And you'll have all your reasons and all your excuses for why you knew what the Bible said, but you had to follow your truth. You had to go away that was right in your own eyes. And it is not going to cut mustard. And that life that you lived will be consumed in that judgment fire. And there you will be, a believer in Jesus Christ, with no glory to bring back to Jesus. No crowns to cast at his feet. No fruit that remains. I mean, someone that Jesus, God, the creator himself, shed his blood to buy back from their sin. And you took that life and you wasted it by turning, I mean, you took the grace of God and turned it into self-satisfaction. Do you understand how horrified you will be at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, God's going to look at me and be like, what's up with that? I don't know how it's going to work exactly. I really don't. We'll see when we get there. Let me tell you my game plan. My game plan is going to be, God, I told him. <laughs> I told him. All those years preaching, I was telling him what you said. I told him. I told him. I, I, just know I'm a big fat chicken. Okay, and I'm standing before my creator, and he's like, explain to me what's going on with Wagyi. I told him, right? I told him, explain to me, right? Explain to me what's going on with Scott. I told him, I told him. That, that's my game plan. We'll see if I get to do that. <laughs> I, I, I do desperately want you to know what the Bible says, because at the end of the day, You've only got a moment. There is no promise of tomorrow. Your life will, in this world will end. What then? What then? And whenever you consider the scope, the magnitude of the fact that we're eternal beings, we're going to spend eternity somewhere and in some condition. Some people are going to spend it not just in hell, they're going to spend it in the lowest hell. Some people are going to be saved, yet so as by fire. I mean, Saved in heaven, smelling like hell, right? I mean, saved, yet so as by fire. No fruit, no glory to the name and the account of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got, what you're doing is you're looking at your life, and you've got all these reasons and excuses for why you don't have to do Bible by Jesus. Or you, so you can justify turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Brothers, sisters, repent. Jesus is worthy of our submission. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of us laying down our lives and following him as disciples indeed. When he says it, that settles it. We're not going to follow according to our feelings or our changing circumstances or what's going on or what, what somebody did to you. No, what the book says settles it. And he's worth you taking up your cross and following him, not according to what you think or feel, but according to his word. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for everyone in this room. Lord, help us to tremble at your word. Help us to see that, God, you are the living God, and there is no one like you. And to you, Lord Jesus, every knee will bow. Every power, every throne, every place and person that has dominion. The good, the bad, the ugly, the rich, the poor. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so, Lord, help us to consider our days. Help us to number them. Help us to consider 
our walk before you. And help us to recognize how desperately we need to take your word serious. We don't want to be a flippant people who excuse away your word so that we can just, I mean, it's the way it always works, God. You see it. I want to live for sin. I want to live for the flesh. And so I have to despise your word. I have to talk trash on your, on your structure. I've got to talk trash on your church. I've got, got to just say untrue statements like they're the gospel truth. They take the Bible too serious. It's cult. What? So that I can just go live like hell. Lord, open our eyes. Wake us up. You're worthy. We must give an account. Lord, I pray it's with rejoicing. Lord, if there's any here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior, God, please let today be the day of salvation. If there's a brother or sister who is tempted to follow the lies of this world, to turn the grace of God into lascivious, God, let today be the day of repentance. Let today be the day of no turning back. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.